Four and one go the Hoosiers. One and one in conference play. Iowa drops to two and three overall. Their third straight loss. Zero and two in conference. And again, their seventh consecutive conference loss dating back to last season. James Hardy had an early touchdown catch. He again continues for the third straight year to give the Hawkeyes problems. And really, Iowa never was in the football game after the 21-0 lead. They did get within 21-13 in the third quarter, but Indiana pulls away. So the Hawkeyes lose on their homecoming game for the first time in eight years. 38-20, Indiana wins it. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the weekly football podcast from HawkeyesMike.com. Those cuts were courtesy of the Big Ten Network. Iowa lost to Indiana last Saturday, 38-20. That was its seventh consecutive Big Ten football game loss. It was an embarrassing performance before a sold-out homecoming crowd at Kinnick Stadium. The offense, despite impressive statistics, was almost completely inept. Jake Christensen probably had his worst performance as a Hawkeye quarterback. The special teams were awful. And once again, we saw an Iowa defense that was simply unable to contain an opponent that runs the spread offense. What's worse, if Iowa loses this week at Penn State, it will be the eighth consecutive Big Ten loss. That's the equivalent of an entire Big Ten season. Iowa fans are beginning to legitimately wonder when the next win might realistically come in this 2007 football season. It's increasingly obvious that Iowa's football program may not only have some short-term problems, but long-term issues as well. Moreover, Iowa is only 6-5 and in Kinnick Stadium since its 2005 loss to Michigan. The last time Iowa lost this many consecutive Big Ten games, was 1998 to 2000 when it lost 14 straight. Well, let's certainly hope we don't reach that point. Fans began to flood the exits early. In fact, in the third quarter, something we really don't want to see at Kinnick. The game made you think back to Kirk's early years, where Iowa made many untimely mistakes. There was a significant lack of talent, and there was a lack of athleticism compared to our opponents. You know, maybe it's a good thing most Iowa fans don't get the Big Ten Network. It saved them from watching this performance last Saturday against Indiana, which, in my opinion, was one of the worst performances I've seen at Kinnick or on the road in 20 years, and we've seen some pretty bad ones on occasion. The combination of Indiana's quarterback Lewis and its receiver Hardy simply pummeled the Hawks once again. Iowa's defense just seems incapable of stopping, or in last Saturday's case, even slowing down this kind of an offense. Jake Christensen regressed. It was a terrible game in spite of his stats. The key difference in this game, as Ed Podolak pointed out in the broadcast, was that Indiana's quarterback made plays and Iowa's did not. The Hawks were once again three and out in their opening possession. That's happened in four or five games this season, and there have been no scores in any of the five in their opening possession. In fact, Iowa's now been shut out in the first quarter in four of the first five games. Iowa has run 38 plays so far this season for negative yardage, and there were 14 in the Indiana game alone. There's already as many sacks been allowed by Iowa through the first five games as the entire season last year, and in fact, Iowa ranks 115th in sacks allowed. Third down situations are even worse. In the Indiana game, Iowa converted only five of 18 times, and of those, 12 were of the third and long variety, and those are low percentage plays when you have to run them. There were way too many negative yardage plays. All of this hurt an offense that already appears largely inept. Iowa now has the Big Ten's worst conversion record on third downs at 31% compared to the other Big Ten teams averaging 45%. There was an ugly incident on the sidelines between tight ends coach Eric Johnson and wideout Trey Strauss after Strauss spiked the ball following his end of the first half TD, incurring a 15-yard penalty that was assessed in the second half kickoff. Looks like this will be the final play of the first half. Christensen is going to heave it towards the end zone, jump ball. It's caught touchdown. Troy Trey Strauss with the touchdown for Iowa. What a fluke that was. There were four Indiana defenders there that tipped it. There is a flag down in the end zone. Excessive pet, uh, celebration. He spiked the ball. This could be a game changer right here. I'd rather be lucky than good. That's what they say. I'd rather be good. <laughs> when you're real good, you seem luck always comes your way. I guarantee you, Kurt Ferentz will not be happy about that young man spiking the ball. We're going to take just a very cursory look at the game notes and stats from the Indiana game because really they're mostly meaningless. Indiana's win snapped Iowa's seven-game homecoming winning streak. Christensen did have his best performance as a hawk. He completed 24 of 42 passes for 308 yards and three touchdowns. 
Running back Albert Young carried the ball 15 times for 94 yards. That pushes his career rushing total past Owen Gill and into sixth place in all-time Hawkeye career rushing. And he's only one yard behind the fifth place holder, Tony Stewart. In terms of tackles in the defense, Humple recorded a game and career-high 13 tackles. Cruel collected nine. Mitch King and Godfrey each had seven stops. Iowa's place kickers missed two field goals and an extra point. We alluded to it earlier, the most glaring stat to me was in third down conversions where Indiana went 6 of 13 and Iowa only 5 of 18. This game was certainly an excellent example of how meaningless stats can be in terms of the actual play and outcome in a football game. Today's Hawkeyes Mike program is made possible in part by the Lodge Apartments in Iowa City, the finest in student living, your home away from home. Call 319-358-3500 or go to www.thelodge at ui.com. And by Morgan Stanley Financial Advisors of Coralville. Call 319-338-5184 or 800-870-0002 for all your investment needs. These football programs come to you weekly during the entire season. This week, once again, you'll have the chance to hear from Marv Cook and Pat Hardy, as well as our regular feature on officiating and the rules, and we'll also hear from you, the Iowa fans. We invite you to share your opinions each week by calling 866-74-HAWKS. Time now to hear from the coaches in this Saturday's game. First, Kirk Ferentz talks about the Indiana game and looks ahead to Penn State. You know, certainly last weekend was disappointing. Credit goes to Indiana, as I mentioned. I thought they played a uh, very good football game and uh, appear to have a good football team. Uh, you know, we left a, uh, a lot to be desired, certainly with our performance, and uh, they, they certainly had something to do with that. But they, uh, you know, they played a good football game. You know, our, our focus uh, turned over to this week, starting on Sunday afternoon, and you know, we're going to need a great week of preparation. We play a very talented Penn State football team. If you look at them, you know, they, they've lost two games in a row after getting off to a great start, and, and I think it's pretty obvious in their case too what, what's hindered them. They've had some very untimely turnovers the last two games, and you, know, you play a team like uh, Michigan at Michigan. Uh, you need to be at your best and played very well, but they turned the ball over. And uh, same thing last week. Illinois has got a very good football team. They're playing at Illinois, and you know they, they uh, experienced some problems there too. But they're they're very talented. They got a very good uh, group of receivers. We've been hearing about most of these guys now for a couple of years, and now we're, we're finally getting to face them. Uh, so they're very very talented. They're a good offensive line, talented running backs, excellent fullback, and you know they've got a quarterback that's done a good job for them in a year and a half's time, and has left them led them to a lot of big wins. So you know they're a good team offensively, and then defensively, you know the the most surprising thing I think probably is it's a little bit like Ohio State a year ago. They graduated a bunch of good players off their front line, and the guys they got playing right now are playing like veteran players. You know they're really uh, very impressive on film, big, athletic, quick on the edges, and you know like you'd expect they've got a very good uh, linebacker crew uh, led by Connor. Excellent player, excellent secondary, two very good corners and good safeties. And, and the kicking game, you know, it's interesting. They've got two left-footed guys, left-footed punter, left-footed kicker. They're both uh, excellent. And as long as we can keep the ball outside the 40, uh, we'll be safe from the kicker. But uh, once it's inside, you know, he's, he's a real threat. So they're doing a good job there. And, uh, you know, Williams is a prominent guy in the return game, too. So they're a very good football team. Uh, it's a tough place to play. And, you know, we're going to need a good week of practice. Coach, what are the Hawkeyes trying to do going forward? You know, I'm not going to say there's a formula for every situation, but but I think this one's pretty basic right now. You know, we, we've lost three games with, with you know, if you want to rank the losses, you know, it, it certainly was up there in the disappointment uh, stage. And again, it's not so much losing, but some things we did in the loss, you know, that that's what you're concerned about. And some things we did Saturday, uh, if you do them against any good team, you, know, you can't expect to win. So we've got to focus on getting that corrected. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not ignorant to the fact that we've lost three straight, and I'm sure our players are probably uh, more aware of it than I am. So I think that's the other other thing is just make sure that we have our players' attention directed towards what's really important right now. And uh, what is important is what we do this week. You know, it's, it's really about all we can worry about. You know, how much improvement can we make? What can we do to clean up the things that we didn't do well? You know, hopefully get ourselves in position to play a game where we give ourselves a fighting chance to, to win the thing. Some of the things that we did Saturday won't allow us to do that. Do you think at this point in the season, Iowa can make a run? Is a bowl game realistic? I think what we need to do right now is just worry about this week. I really do. Um, we're hopeful. We're optimistic. I mean, that's our business, if you will. I mean, we, uh, 
everybody's you know disappointed again i think if you're not on a team or on a coaching staff your, your emotions tend to swing a little further left or right than people involved in, in doing the activity so i mean all of us are going to i assume we're going to stay optimistic i haven't seen one, one thing about this team that's had a great attitude to date i don't anticipate that changing so yeah we're just going to keep working hard and do what we can do yeah we'd be very happy to win the game this week but it's going it's to take a lot of work it's going to take a phenomenal effort that, that's what we're going to we're shooting to do we'll worry about the next one next week Joe Paterno talks about Iowa. Well, I think Iowa's, uh, you know, solid. I think Kirk does, uh, his staff does do a great job. I think they've had some bad luck, obviously, with injuries, had some key injuries, and I think the game with Indiana was a little bit different. Is the best word I can say. The quarterback tumbles and picks up his own fumble, gets it, bounces around, and then runs for touchdown. So it kind of set the tone for the game. So I, I think I was, you know, I like their quarterback. Uh, I think that the one linebacker in there is awfully good. But they're a solid football team, and it'll be a tough football game for us. Coach Paterno also talks about the Big Ten this year. You know, the league is, is really out of balance probably than, than maybe it's been. And I think that, uh, you know, the Indiana game will fool you. I think the, the fact that Illinois beat Indiana, and I looked at Illinois, and I looked at Indiana when we had played, well, because we played Illinois last week, I said to myself, boy, well, these guys are all getting tough. They're all getting tough. And I think that maybe the, uh, you know, the Indiana-Iowa game would mislead people because they don't realize how good Indiana is because they might think that Illinois wasn't very good, which is not the case. So it's, it's kind of, hey, Every game's going to be a tough about his young Penn State defense, including Sean Lee, who was heavily recruited by the Hawks. Well, we have a, no, we have a bunch of kids that are really trying and hustling. I, we haven't done some things that you got to do in order to win against good football teams. Play as well as Michigan played, as well as Illinois played against us. I, I, can I? I think John Lee's a heck of a football player. I think we got a couple other kids that are going to be really good at playing the down people. I think our secondary solid. I think we've got a good football team on the defense. I think an offensive, yeah. We just, on offense, we're not just catching the ball in the clutch. We're putting the ball on the ground at the wrong time, that kind of stuff. Uh, stupid penalties at the wrong times. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm aware of the fact we only have one senior in defense, and I think that... Uh, Hopefully he'll get better as the season goes along. But they've played, they've played adequately up to now. Following our first caller, you'll hear from former Hawkeye All-American and All-Pro tight end, Marv Cook. Hey, this is Brett from uh, Middleton, Wisconsin. We're starting to become very predictable. And it's okay to be predictable when you have the horses to do it. But if you're not have the horses or the good athletes to get the job done, then you've got to mix it up and do some different things. The other thought that I had was if it's so darn difficult for us to stop this spread offense, is that something we would want to look at doing? I do think we have some skill people. Maybe we're just not utilizing them in the right way, and maybe it'd be a year or two process, but that might not be a bad thing to look into because it's sure a fun offense to watch and they score a lot and if we can't stop it maybe other folks can't stop us as well but you know we're going to have to improve on things I don't see us uh, winning but another game or two a year if that so hopefully our coach parents will improve things and get us going in the right direction again HawkeyesMike.com, something new. It's sports talk radio on the internet, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. We want to welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly stint on HawkeyesMike.com. Boy, Marv, thinking back over the last few years, have you seen a worst performance at Kinnick by an Iowa team? Wow, that's a tough question. It wasn't good. It wasn't a, a good performance. I mean, obviously... Uh, kind of disappointing. I mean, the one thing that you did see is, I mean, obviously they had some really good athletes and Hardy and the quarterback, and I thought, you know, they did a nice job scheme-wise of using Hardy when they weren't throwing the ball to him, they were using him as a decoy. 
running slants and, and it drew our defense and it allowed their fullback to get out in the flat and he caught a lot of balls against us, was real effective at creating first downs for their offense. So I, mean, I thought Indiana did some good things scheme-wise, but uh, it was not an enjoyable three hours, that's for sure. Iowa seems to be regressing in nearly every aspect of the game. How do you explain that? Well, I, I guess I'm, you know, this is that class. This is that blue chip class we had two or three years ago that should be coming to the forefront right now, and, and we need to see those guys step up and play. One of the contentions I've always made is, is good Iowa teams have a lot of Iowa guys. I selfishly say that, but, uh, you know, I think uh, if you look at the recent success, you get guys like Gallery, Kading, Clark, Steinbach, not Steinbach, but Nelson. But yeah, a lot of these guys are Iowa kids or Midwest kids, and, and uh, those are the guys that lead the team. And, you know, we just need to see that kind of leadership come to the forefront right now. Given your experience as a coach and a player, rank order the responsibility for what's unfolding this season, the schemes and play calling, the coaching versus recruiting and talent or teaching and developing the players or the players in execution. A little bit of everything, probably a little bit of all of those, to be honest with you. I mean, I think, you know, obviously they've had some players go down with injuries, they've had some players with suspensions, but, I mean, this is Big Ten football. The difference between first and second and third string really shouldn't be that much at this level. You know, the mentality that I was always been the next guy in, so I don't, you know, I'm not going to necessarily say it's talent or I'm not going to necessarily say it's one thing or the other. I think it might be a combination of all three things, and, and the Big Ten's getting better. I think we, we do struggle with the spread. Uh, that is an offense that unfortunately is rage right now in college and high school football. And uh, we've got to come up with some ways to stop that offense and, and then also to create more offense for, for Iowa. So, I mean, those are, I think it's a combination of all three of those things, to be honest with you. Do you think there's something seriously wrong with this football program? You know, I don't like to see programs go through cycles. That's disappointing. I think Iowa's gotten to the point where, you know, under Coach Fry, I mean, it was, you know, we had a couple down years, but, uh, but you know, we we're always contention for a bowl game for the most part. Maybe a tough year. You hate to see that, but, you know, programs do go through cycles. Uh, it happens to all of them, Michigan, Ohio State, but usually the good programs will bounce back quickly. I mean, they'll bounce back, you know, next year, the following year, and uh, I believe that's where Kirk Ferentz has his program right now. Have the coaches lost the team? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I think, uh, you know, so I, I, I listened to one of the reports after the game. Albert, Albert Young was a little disappointed to get more carries. You know, he had, you know, a lot of yards per carry. But uh, I think that's just a running back wanting the ball more, which you want your playmakers to want the ball. So I don't think he's lost the team. And, um, you know, it's still early in the season. You know, you got a lot of Big Ten games left to play, and, and they can right the ship real quick by going into Penn State and getting a victory there and showing people that they are capable of being a good football team. So, I mean, it's not, for, it's not lost, and hopefully the, the mindset on the team isn't that way either. As a player, did you ever go through anything like this? How, how did you try to respond? You know, I'd say in my senior year, uh, we were ranked preseason <clears throat> number one by one publication. And uh, we thought we had a pretty good football team. We didn't get off to the best of starts. And uh, I think we ended up six, three and six, four and three, had three ties. But uh, it was kind of a disappointing season. We got off to a shaky start, lost to Hawaii our first game and, and really had to kind of look into ourselves and see what we want to make out of the season and, and rally the troops a little bit and, and that's kind of what we're able to do. At the end of the day it's the guys on the team, it's the coaches staff, that's their team and they got to find a way to get it together whether it's it's player meetings or coach and staff meetings or a combination of the both but uh, just get everybody on the same page having good work weeks Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I mean I have, I'm a big proponent that you don't win games on Saturday or Friday nights you win them during the week with your preparation and how you go about your business so uh, that's what they need to concentrate on right now. As a coach now what would you try to do? I think probably what Kirk's doing is just staying the course and, and trying to get them to, to get good game plans in place and then being able to execute the game plans is the key. You know, I'm sure that's what they're working on during the week and the Big Ten comes at you fast and furious. You got different styles. You got Wisconsin who wants to hammer, you got Indiana who wants to spread you out and they got some talent on the outside. Now you got Penn State who's got good athletes across the board. It's one thing after the other and uh, the good thing about the staff is they've seen all these guys before, they know their systems. It's just a matter of making necessary adjustments during the week and getting the guys to execute those adjustments. Do you think there's been any impact in terms of the performance of the team based on the off-field problems and Kirk's disciplinary approach? I think it's an issue. I mean, um, when you go to a press conference and you have to address it, you know, every time it, it comes up, I mean, it's it's just one thing that enters your, your mindset. It's not about football, not about the opponent. And you do get used to standard answers to those questions, but yet it's just it's just still in the top of the mind and, you know, beca can become a distraction from that standpoint. But I think the players have, for the most part, put it behind them. The players that have stepped in have done adequately. I thought they performed pretty well. So I, mean, I think it's just a situation you move forward. It's a, it's a frustrating thing as an alumni to see these issues sprouting up, but these are 
are 18, 19 year old kids and they're going to make mistakes and it happens all across the country. So it's disappointing and as a team I think they've seen things like this before. I mean it's not like every year there's not some issue off the field incident with a major college football program so they're used to it and I think the players have put it behind them. Parents keep saying Iowa just needs to try harder and execute better. Do you buy that? Uh, I think execution's big. I mean, I think that's a, a big issue that uh, we're struggling with right now. And uh, third down conversions are big. And, and coming up on defense on third down conversions, stopping the other team. I mean, it really is. Unfortunately, when you look at a game, you can probably go back to six or seven plays and says that was the difference in the game. And that's the way it is across most games, unless you see a 55 to nothing ball game. There's five or six plays that will determine the outcome of the game, whether it's a special teams play or turnover or something like that. But what you find is the good teams always end up on top of those plays, and the bad teams always end up on the bottom of those plays and you know those are the things that they need to eliminate is those types of mistakes turnovers uh, losing field position uh, not executing in critical times so I, I do agree with what he's saying from that standpoint do you see any improvement in any aspect of the game on Saturday no kicking game struggled again I thought you know the punting game had a couple times to put them inside the 20 we didn't we kicked it through the end zone our extra point and field goal wasn't crisp missed a few of those you know defensively I thought Hardy was able to exploit us a little bit with him and, and when he wasn't making catches and plays he was distracting our defense and allowing the fullback to get open and, and make plays for him so it, but but that's Indiana that's to Indiana's credit they were doing the things that they needed to do to be successful Jake really struggled Saturday. How do you try to deal with that as a coach? What combination of things might you utilize? Teaching, coaching, fundamentals, falling back upon your, your, your progression. You know, every time you know you get up there, you should have a pre-snap read and know, okay, if it's cover three, then I'm gonna immediately take away the weak side and I'm gonna work strong, you know, a three on two combination. And so if I'm working strong, now I gotta check the safety. Safety does this, the ball's going here. If the safety does his, now I'm going to the backer. And if the backer does this, I'm going here. And if they both do this, now I'm just gonna take the check down. And just getting that habit, getting that routine, so it becomes habit that you get in the pocket, you expect them to do certain things and you almost want them to do certain things because you know immediately what you're gonna do with the ball. And I think that's just repetitions and going through it in practice and then having that fundamentally ingrained in your system that okay if I get this look and they bring this blitz I'm immediately going to do this the ball's out and then when you do that against blitzes when you throw the ball quick on blitzes now the pressure's back on the defense and uh, I think it's just going to take some time with Jake. If this continues how much longer do you think before they might make a quarterback change? Boy that's I don't know that's a good question I, I don't know at some point I mean I, at some point you got to try to do what's going to help the team move the off what's going to help help the offense move and you know a lot of times even some players don't play and we've probably had this conversation before some players don't play well on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday but they'll play well on Saturday. At some point we need to probably see if there's somebody else in the roster that can move the team. You know you go back to Brad Banks and Kyle McCann the year we were rotating those guys and I thought they both were pretty effective and you know each one had strengths and weaknesses and each one complemented each other and I'm not sure that we have that at Iowa right now but I'm not throwing it up on Jake yet but we got to score points. We got to move the ball. Considering the number of sacks Iowa's given up this year, is that the most you've seen an Iowa offensive line struggle in recent history? You know, a lot of times it's covered sacks. A lot of times it's, you know, he's moving around trying to make something happen and it happens five or six seconds into the deal. So with the exception of Wisconsin, I thought there was guys coming free. You know, they, we had a, they had a block, they had a blitzer that we couldn't account for, caused us some problems. But, you know, I think, uh, I mean, off, offensive line-wise, I think they're doing an adequate job. And, and, you know, like I said, I think the statistics, we were running the ball somewhat effectively Saturday. When you get behind the eight ball, when you get down in the Big Ten and teams can pin their ears back, trust me, there's guys that can rush the quarterback. And being behind, uh, you know, in situations like that really creates problems. I just asked the uh, Eagles, you know, when they were, facing the guy that had six sacks against him the other night. I mean, so when, it, when, it, when you get an obvious passing down, those defensive ends can really bring a lot of pressure on you. How much responsibility do you assess to the line as opposed to the quarterback or receivers? There, there again, I think it's probably a combination of both. I mean, I think, you know, I think the Wisconsin blitzes were probably like an unblocked blitzer where literally that we had someone that wasn't assigned to him and we were supposed to throw the ball hot to a receiver and we missed the hot read by the receiver or we missed the hot read by the quarterback or the line slid the wrong way. I mean, there's all kinds of things that could have went wrong there. But it looked to me like we that wasn't a blitzer that we had accounted for. So in that situation, we have to be throwing the ball out hot. And then in other times, I think it might just be third and long. Jake's trying to make a play, hangs in the pocket an extra second and a half, two seconds instead of throwing it out, you know, and then takes the sack. So, I mean, I think there's a combination of things there that are causing the, the breakdowns and the sack numbers. What's your reaction to the Eric Johnson-Trey Strauss incident on the sidelines? 
Initially, I didn't think the penalty was going to hurt us because I thought they'd take it on the extra point and we'd still hit the field goal or the extra point. But when you, when you find out they actually take it on the ensuing kickoff, that is a big difference. I mean, that's a, probably a 15 to 20 yard difference in field position you start the second half with. Field position the Big Ten is critical. So it was a bad decision, bad choice. It looked pretty intense. And, uh, you, you know, you hope the student athletes keep their heads about them a little bit and realize that that could come back to haunt them. One of those deals and their passion of the game, things happen. As a player, did anything like that ever happen to you? No. I, I made a mistake in a special team play once when I was in the pros with the Rams. And on the next day we watched film, I got yelled at for 15 minutes where literally by the, by the end of it I was sweating. I was so embarrassed by it. I never made that mistake again, I can promise you that. Talk a little bit about the kicking games problems and just the troubles overall on special teams. You know, we got a good young punter and two young kickers is kind of what it is. You know, a lot of times in the kicking game, especially the extra point field goal, it's such a fine art. I mean, the snap, the hold, the kick, there's three components there that are very, very critical. And if the snap is off, high or low, it affects the timing of the kicker. Or if the holder gets it and doesn't get the laces turned, or if the ball's tipped. You know, some kickers like the ball tipped 60 degree angle, kind of tip forward. Others like it back, in. And so you never know if the holder had it straight up when he likes it tilted, so that way that causes him to hook it. So that's one of those things that internally they'll, they'll have to work out. But I mean, it was disheartening to see some extra points that were not hit well and, and you know, the field goals that weren't punched through. But something's obviously mechanically fundamentally wrong with those uh, that operation, snap, hold, and kick, and then the punting situation. You know, it's a young punter. He's going to make some mistakes every once in a while. Um, and like I said, when you punt from the 40, you don't want to see the ball you know, go through the uprights. Those are things that they'll continue to work on, hopefully fix up. Jason Baker struggled when he was here early. You know, he, he's still punting in the NFL for the Carolina Panthers, so I mean, he was a young punter and made a lot of those same mistakes that this punter's made. Boy, you know, for whatever combination of reasons, it just seems that the defense Norm Parker runs simply can't cope with an offense like Indiana's. We definitely match up better against power teams like Wisconsin, hopefully Penn State. Why is that? Why don't they make the changes they need to make to do that? you think there's something fundamentally lacking in that kind of a defense against certain offenses? Personnel, probably. They, they, they really like their base personnel package, I think. And, and I've seen them make some adjustments in Wisconsin. And, and what, one of the adjustments they'll make is they'll bring a D lineman out and add a linebacker, and they want to get a little bit more athletic. What most teams will do is they'll try to bring in five or six defensive backs to match up with spreads or four wides and things like that so you get more. And, and actually, Iowa did that on Saturday. I saw them line up with six defensive backs, and I like that. I just think they need to do that more. Coach Parker's philosophy is to stop the run. If you make a team one-dimensional, then you can have success. Well, I thought we did a pretty good job of stopping the run for Indiana, but you know they were very, very comfortable passing the ball, and unfortunately, so is Purdue, so are some of these other teams that if you make them one-dimensional and you let them pass, they're very, very comfortable doing that, and they can almost do it as effectively as they do their running games. But I think they are working on some personnel issues and getting guys in there, and I saw Bernstein in there, the true freshman, and they, you know, at times they did have six defensive backs on the field, which I think you have to do in third and medium, third and long, just to match up. How do you explain a team getting nine penalties in a game at this point in the season? Yeah, you have to kind of look at each one as a case by case because you know there's been you know coaching from my standpoint, I've seen a couple of penalties come up. You're like, oh, that was you know okay, a holding call. It holdings you know marginal and. You've heard people say it can be called on every snap almost. So you have to kind of look at one of each case-by-case case scenario. The ones you don't want to see are the personal fouls, the late hits, the offsides, the delay of games. Those are the ones that really, you know, you need to assess and say what's going on here that's causing that problem. So, you know, it's, it's I mean, it's, it's going to be an, for an interesting couple of weeks. I mean, this is a team that, you know, I still think they can go either way. They can be a great team or they can be a, a not-so-good team. And uh, the next two or three weeks will really give us a good insight onto how, how this team's going to finish. Your sense of the team's overall development and performance at this point? You know, we got off to a good start, 2-0. We did what we had to do. We beat teams that weren't as good as us. You know, now we're getting to the Big Ten where teams are going to be as good as us, and we have to beat teams that are, are as good as us or better than us, and we haven't been able to do that yet. Obviously, the Iowa State loss was disappointing. Wisconsin loss was kind of a, you know, a little bit of a, okay, losing to the number nine team in the country, which I'm not sure that they're that highly rated, but they're a good team. You know, we played them well on the road. And then to come back and play a spread team like Indiana causes problems. Penn State will be a good test for us. I mean, they're going to be a physical team. They're going to be an athletic team. Scheme-wise, they're not going to be quite like the spread that we've seen, but they'll be a great challenge for us. Obviously, playing on the road in that Happy Valley is going to be a difficult environment, but it's a great test. And, and you know, like it was at Wisconsin, if they go get a victory there, you know, that restores a ton of credibility to this program and to where they're at. But on the, in the other side, if they go out and they lose by 25 or 28 or 30, then it's, it definitely does raise a lot more questions and answers and uh, things that we need to assess.
keys to the Penn State game? Getting out early, getting effective, getting offensive points early, controlling the ball, controlling field position, and uh, not making mistakes, not making the turnovers, critical areas like that, and then getting a couple of those big plays from the defense or from special teams that uh, keeps the crowd out of it. But I mean, I think the key is gonna be for them to get out early and to get their confidence and say, hey, we can play with these guys. We are a good football team. If they do that, I think they got a really good chance. Any other thoughts, Marv? You know, you just want to see the guys play hard and, and compete and uh, play with passion, play with pride. And if they do that, you know, I'll always be proud of them for that. So a lot of times you're not going to be the best team in the country, but you can represent Iowa and everything you're doing uh, each and every day with class and with dignity and pride. And if you do that, I'm proud of them. Another call, then coming up, award-winning Iowa City Press Citizen Sports reporter and columnist, Pat Hardy. Hey, what's up? My name is Zach R. I'm a Hawkeyes fan living right here in Iowa City. Uh, I wanted to call in and talk about last week's abomination on homecoming. Uh, Indiana 38, Iowa 20. <laughs> Just don't know how something like that happens. It's like Indiana, I'm so used to them being down that uh, to see them come in and win a game like that on homecoming was just very depressing. And uh, being at the actual stadium, being there for the game, uh, it was it was a pretty pretty horrific scene. I mean, there was an air of despair. No one really seemed to be cheering. It's like everyone was realizing all at once that this season may be, may be done. Well, here you got Iowa that's trying to find himself offensively to get good field position. They start off on first down, great yard, negative yard plays on second down, which has killed them all year, and now it's three and out. HawkeyesMike.com, for Iowa fans, by Iowa fans. We're passionate about the Hawks. We welcome back Pat Hardy. You can read Pat's articles in the Press Citizen and on Hawk Central. Boy, Pat, looking back over the last several years and watching Iowa play, have you seen a performance this bad at Kinnick? Oh, I'm sure if I really thought long and hard, I could probably find one back from the 99 season. I covered the 92 team that struggled. I covered the 93 team that struggled. But I think given the circumstances and the amount of hype that was entering this season, I think this it ranks near, if not the most disappointing loss under Kirk Ferentz. I know the Michigan State game up in 99 was bad, but that team was nothing was expected from this team. This was a team that a lot of people thought would win 10 games. And from that point of view, this might be the worst. We seem to be going backwards. I just don't think they're very good. I don't think they have enough talent. And I, you know, everyone says it's the, it's not coaching and maybe it's not coaching, but to me, a major part of coaching is recruiting. And I just don't think they've recruited enough talent. I think that their play calling is somewhat stale at times. I think a lot of teams have adjusted and made revisions to their offense over the last six or seven years. Whereas I think Iowa's still using the things that they, that helped them build the program in the early part of this decade. But football's changed even in the last five years. I think they can't handle spread offenses. And, and I think a lot of defenses know exactly what plays they're running and unless you've got USC or Michigan or Ohio State type of personnel you're gonna have trouble. What do you think is mostly responsible for the struggles the coaching the schemes the recruiting or talent or the players and their execution of the schemes? I would say recruiting and talent players and execution I would say the schemes would possibly be third and the coaching fourth I think these people I think these coaches know football I don't think that's a dis I don't think that's in dispute I just don't think that they can recruit I just I mean you could count on one hand the number of players that have picked Iowa over the other big-time schools and ironically the big stud recruits that they do have that are five-star players they don't play so I think it's more evaluating talent not necessarily developing it there's a lot being written and talked about right now about whether there's something seriously wrong with this program. What do you think? I mean, seriously wrong. I think right now it's just going into another downward cycle. If you look back to the history of the Iowa football program, and it's as down as it's been down probably more than it's been up. I mean, the 30s were bad. The 40s were bad. The 60s were bad. The 70s were bad. Part of the 90s were bad. And I think we're in one of these downward cycles. Now, the concern that I have is how many times have you seen the same coaching staff rebuild a program twice? It's a lot easier, I think, to rebuild it once than it is twice. And that's what makes me wonder if they continue to regress, if there's going to have to be some coaching changes. Do you think the coaches have lost the team? I don't think they've necessarily lost the team. I wouldn't say that. I know there was the ugly incident on the sideline involving Trey Strauss and Eric Johnson, but I think it's too early to say that they've lost the team because I have a feeling they're going to come out and play Penn State pretty close but lose a close game. But no, I don't think they've lost the team. I just don't think the team has a lot of talent. The players are really playing pretty tight. 
I think they're playing tight because they're unsure of themselves. They're not very confident. They don't have a lot of positive things to build on, and they've lost three games in a row. I think it's like a hitter getting into a slump. You're, you're 0 for your last 20, you start pressing. Do you think there's an impact from the off-field problems? None. I don't really think that's an issue at all. I think that's an excuse if anyone's suggesting that. I think the discipline, the no contact with the freshman, that's just all stuff that's taking place on the outside. I don't think it has anything to do with what's going on on the field. Kirk's mantra is, uh, we just have to execute better and try harder. You buy that? It worked once. I mean, that's what he did back in the early years when he got here when they lost 18 of the 20. But if you look back, even the 99 team had some NFL players on that team that would develop. The, all the other teams had way more talent than this team has. And I I don't really buy it right now because I, I, I just don't think the talent is where it was back earlier. So I, I, I think he's going to have to come up with a different answer because I think fans are tired of hearing it. Do you see any improvement at all in Iowa on Saturday? Not really. No, I can't really think of any area where the team improved. I know Darrell Johnson scored another touchdown and continues to show that he's a playmaker. But other than that, the punting game was terrible. The field goal kicking was terrible. The offensive line protection was terrible. Jake Christensen hangs onto the ball way too long. He misses open receivers. He's short. He never really throws a real clean ball. He throws behind receivers. I thought the tackling was poor. I just thought from top to bottom it was just a dismal effort. Christensen continued to struggle, had many problems in nearly every aspect of the quarterback play on Saturday. How, how much longer before we might see a new QB? I'd still say it's a while. I think he's clearly their number one quarterback, which is disturbing in some ways, because what's that say about the guys behind him? But I don't see any quarterback change taking place for a while, and everyone's wondering if it'll be Arv why they won't put Arville Nelson in. I'm not totally convinced Arville Nelson's the backup quarterback. I think it could be Rick Stanzi, and both of them are redshirt freshmen, and I think if they were pushing Jake at all, we would have heard that. It's been Jake has clearly been the guy, and no, I don't see anything happening for a while. I was giving up way too many sacks. Covered the 93 Alamo Bowl against Kansas City when Paul Burmeister was, a, was playing his last game, and he barely had time to even stand up in the pocket. They just got destroyed in that game. They lost 37-3. That game was probably even worse than this game because Burmeister wasn't hanging on to the ball as long in this game. Jake Christensen caused a lot of those sacks himself by just not getting rid of the ball or doing something. He, I mean, a couple times, he just literally stood in the pocket. He didn't even try to move. So I think the 93 Alamo Bowl was worse. Do you think that's the problem with the line or with Jake? I would say it's almost 50-50. The line obviously has some major breakdowns, but I think Jake just held onto the ball way too long. He's indecisive. I and mean, the one time he stood in the pocket and literally just hopped up and down, he didn't go anywhere. You can't expect these linemen to just to hold their blocks forever. At some point, he's got to do something, but I'd say it's 50-50. What was your reaction when you saw from the press box that incident between Eric Johnson and Trey Strauss? I think it was very unfortunate. Made an ugly game into an ugly situation. I think Strauss, as I said in my column, it was a knucklehead decision, but I think he let his emotions get the best of him. I think Eric Johnson was totally out of line to act the way he did. There was a way he could have conveyed his message and made Strauss aware that he had kind of went against the Hawkeye beliefs and what have you, but I just think that Eric Johnson overreacted. And besides, Eric Johnson's not, I believe Lester Erb is the receiver's coach. I would have let his position coach deal with him that way. I just think if Eric had it to do again, I don't think he would have let his emotions get the most he was everybody in the press box saw it everybody saw it I, I just think the coaches have to rise above that you see any short-term fixes for the troubles on special teams no I just think it's going to be time and practice and more hard knocks I think growing pains are basically what you're going to see and I don't there's no personnel that you can insert in there what you see is what you get and they just have to get better Boy, we continue to struggle in our first offensive series, too, and we're just so predictable. Very predictable. I mean, they are, other than the Syracuse game, I think it's been three plays and out on all the first series, and I think a lot of it is predictability, and they just seem to come out flat, and it always seems like there's one or two guys that miss a block, then boom, they're faced with some either second or third and long situation, and they're not built for any second or third and long situation. Well, once again, we saw a team with a spread offense just decimate Norm Parker's defense. Why do you think we don't match up well in those situations and why don't we make changes? I think the reason they do better against power teams is that's how they recruit. They are slow. I think this game against Penn State's going to be a, a much closer game in a lot of ways because Penn State and Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio State even in some regards, and Iowa and Michigan State all kind of play that power football and teams don't score. They're not as explosive and I think Iowa's defense, Iowa doesn't recruit a lot of speed and I think the defense is built to try to play power defense against power football and when they shift to these spread formations, Iowa rarely goes five or six D-backs. They did this time 
time, but I just don't think they have enough speed in the defensive secondary or the linebackers to play that type of system. And while you say they don't switch, I think the coaches are stubborn. I think they believe in what they've done. I think they know they fixed it here once doing their system and they're not going to let a bunch of outside opinions influence the way they go about things. They're going to stick with what got them there and you just got to wonder if it's going to end up eventually costing them. Talk about the nine penalties we had. Good question. They're going to say it's youth, and part of it probably is youth. I mean, they did have a lot of freshmen in there making mistakes or what have you, but I just, that's a good question. It makes you wonder what goes on during the week. I'll give a little bit of it to youth, but I'll give a little bit of it just of carelessness on the players. Your sense of the team's overall development and performance at this point in the season? Well, if I was doing grades, I'd give them probably a D, not quite a D minus, but I don't think they're developing at all. I think they're getting worse. I thought Jake had shown some progress against Wisconsin, but I think a lot of it had to do with just the style of game that was being played. I just don't see anyone other than maybe Darrell Johnson, Kulianos, who seems to be getting better on a weekly basis. He seems to be the one guy that seems to be showing some upside, whereas everyone else to me just seems to be going through the motions and not improving. You have to wonder why there weren't more changes made last year after Kirk said they were going to completely re-examine the program. I, I don't think they anticipated having to make wholesale changes. I think they thought last year was a fluke, and I think they thought what helped them build the program in the first place was going to eventually win out again, but right now they're realizing that that's not the case, that there's something severely wrong with the program, so maybe this will be the year they make some changes. What's your realistic assessment based on what you've seen so far this season in terms of wins and whether they might have any chance for a bowl game. I see them going four and eight, five and seven at the best. I see them beating Western Michigan, Minnesota, and Northwestern possibly. I don't, unfortunately, I don't see them beating Illinois. I know I've taken a lot of shots at Ron Zook over the years. Some I think are deserved, but he's done a great job recruiting. I think that just shows you right there. Illinois, Purdue, Michigan State, and Indiana are all on the rise. And when those teams are usually on the rise, three or two, there's gotta be two or three other teams that are on the fall. And it's not gonna be Michigan or Ohio State. So the numbers tell you that it's Iowa. So I. Right now, I would say that things are not going well at all. If that kind of record plays out, what do you expect to see at the conclusion of this season? Do you think Bardo would force some changes, or do you expect Ferentz to do so on his own? That's a good question. I everyone wants everyone I think is assuming that if they go three and nine or four and eight, that there's going to be some wholesale coaching changes. I don't see that happening. I don't. A lot of these coaches are Kirk's friends too, and I think Kirk believes in them. I still think Kirk thinks that eventually they're going to work through this. I I could maybe see a couple coaches retiring on their own, but I can't see any getting fired, and I don't see Gary. Barta ready to take such strong action against a guy he's paying $3 million a year for right now. I think he's going to wait and let this thing play out maybe another season, but I just can't see wholesale changes after this year. What do you think the impact will be on recruiting of this kind of a season? Oh, I think it's going to be have a very adverse effect because I think Iowa, it's hard enough to recruit to Iowa to begin with, but if you look back at some of Iowa's greatest recruiting classes ever, the 1985 class came after they went to the Rose Bowl, the 2005 class came after three straight 10-win seasons. Iowa's the kind of team that it needs to have success to kind of help propel it as a recruiting force and what have you. And when they start to struggle, that just makes it even harder. And I just see, I think recruiting's gonna suffer. What do you think the keys to the Penn State game are? First of all, not letting the quarterback get sacked all the time. They have to get better field position from the punter. They have to avoid making penalties and they have to try to get out and get to, it'd be nice for them to come out and maybe score first and get the lead because Penn State is a very deliberate, methodical offense and I don't think they do a great job of playing from behind. So they need to somehow get out early, have some early success, build some confidence and hopefully Penn State will still be bumming from last week, but I have a feeling they won't be. Any other thoughts? It's, we're not even halfway through and it's already been a long season. I, I didn't think this team was going to be very good. I picked them to go 7-5, and five, but then right after the Iowa State game, I changed that to 6-6. Six and six. I think right now you're basically witnessing a program that didn't take advantage of its two, three really good years recruiting-wise, and I think right now you're seeing there there's a severe lack of talent on the team right now, and I right now I just don't see things getting any better, at least this season. Hawkeye's Mike is always interested in and encourages listener feedback. Help make us better. Please provide us with your comments and suggestions for programs, guests, and topics by emailing feedback at hawkeyesmike.com or by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. Next up, our official guy on all things rules, Rob P. This week, we've had several questions the last couple of weeks about the definition of an uncatchable pass and about pass interference calls in general. What to talk about 
As far as officiating goes, I've heard a lot of, we'll call it rumbling about defensive pass interference calls that have gone against the Hawks the last two games. There were some questionable catchable or uncatchable passes that Iowa got defensive pass interference called against them on in the Wisconsin game, I believe. So just to clarify maybe why those flags were thrown, I'll tell you what the NCAA definition of a catchable forward pass is. It is an untouched legal forward pass beyond the neutral zone to an eligible player who has a reasonable opportunity to catch the ball. Here's the important part. When in question, a legal forward pass is catchable. Even though maybe the receiver didn't have the ability to touch the pass with or without the contact by the defensive player, the officials, when in doubt, are going to rule that it was catchable and they're going to throw a defensive pass interference flag. Also in the Wisconsin game, there were a couple of defensive pass interference no calls that went Wisconsin's way with Iowa receivers getting pushed around before the pass was released. Just to clear that up, restrictions on offensive receivers start with the snap during a forward pass down. Let's say Cleveland is a receiver and he's going to downfield he cannot push off even before the pass is thrown legally that would be offensive pass interference as soon as the ball is thrown the defense however can push around legally they can essentially do all the legal kind of blocking and contact that they could against any other player on the field it doesn't matter that it's an offensive receiver so defensive pass interference restrictions begin when the legal forward pass is released offensive pass interference restrictions begin at the snap defensive pass interference restrictions begin when the pass is thrown so this gives the defense a slight advantage. So all that jostling that's going around and the reason that D-backs can push people or bump and run off the line of scrimmage and all that stuff, that's why that's legal because the pass hasn't been thrown yet. Rob also talks about the deep pass interference calls in the Indiana game. The philosophy behind throwing a deep pass interference flag, deep meaning it's coming from either the field judge, the side judge, or the back judge, the three officials that are usually 15 to 20 yards downfield. We had a couple of those thrown in the Indiana game. I'll just go over real quick why those flags might have come in or the philosophy behind those. Basically, that's a shared coverage area, which means the wing official or the official that's on the sideline, usually right near the play, they've got to look at the face, hopefully, between the receiver and the defender who's coming in from behind them and hopefully the ball coming into that play. What they can't always see is a hand in the back of the receiver or an arm wrapping around the receiver. You see a lot of those replays in the NFL where they talk about the arm that's not batting the pass away, grabbing the receiver. That's why it's important to have that deep official covering the play. Basically, the philosophy behind throwing a flag from back there is that it's got to be something that's obvious and it's got to be something that created a disadvantage for the offensive receiver. As far as those two that were thrown that were requested in the Indiana game, um, they can pretty much go either way as far as either coming from a wing or a deep official. The important thing to remember is despite how close some of those calls look, nine penalties for 73 yards did not lose us the game, including those two pass interference calls that were questionable. The officials met and got together and decided that they saw something that needed to be called. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Today's Hawkeyes Mike program is made possible in part by the Lodge Apartments in Iowa City, the finest in student living, your home away from home. Call 319-358-3500 or go to www.thelodgeatui.com. And by Morgan Stanley Financial Advisors of Coralville. Call 319-338-5184 or 800-870-0002 for all your investment needs. It should be obvious to almost anyone who watches that Iowa's opponents now consistently appear to be able to figure out what plays Iowa is going to run, both offensively and defensively. We've just become way too predictable. Opponents are even saying this following the games, and then this is only worse when we have execution problems. When Kirk Ferentz says that Iowa re-examined its football program over the winter and made corrections, other than playing more true freshmen, just what were they? It appears obvious they didn't correct any of the more serious flaws in the program, and now at this point in the season, it's probably too difficult to try to make any major adjustments on the fly. Kirk has also been quoted this past week as saying that you play to your strengths and that there are certain program things that Iowa does that are just not going to change. Well, there are two questions back to that. What strengths and what does it take to get you to be more flexible on both offense and defense? 
Oh well, at least Notre Dame is 0-5. Maybe we should start a pool on which one of these two teams, Iowa or Notre Dame, might next win a game. Your point being? You're seeing more fans asking, and you're seeing more written in the media, about what might be broken with the Iowa football program. There certainly is an alarming trend developing over the last two-plus years since Iowa's win over LSU in the Capital One Bowl. This program appears to be heading in the wrong direction. Kirk Ferentz's teams are now only 15-15 and 15 in their last 30 games. In the last 12 games, Iowa's only 3-9, and nine, and two of those wins came against Northern Illinois. A strong argument can be made that Iowa's program is simply becoming outdated in terms of both its offensive and defensive philosophy. The coaches appear too stubborn to change, Iowa is way too predictable on offense and defense, and it's clear that the college football game has changed a lot in the last nine years, and in fact has changed significantly in the last two or three years, yet Iowa has not. We failed to adjust to our talent. You have to ask a legitimate question about how much talent we have actually have. We certainly failed to develop the talent we have. There appear to be significant problems in recruiting. Attrition has become another major problem for the Hawkeyes. Pat Hardy wrote a great article in the Press Citizen this week talking about the fact that of the 22 players signed with the 2003 recruiting class and the 22 recruits in the February 2005 recruiting class, which incidentally was described as the best in school history, those classes have been cut nearly in half. And given an Iowa program where it's difficult to recruit against the big guys and that you have to work hard to maintain the talent level and develop the talent you have, you simply can't afford to lose that many players in key recruiting classes. Aw, crap! That's it, I'm out of here. Just a reminder that following every football game this fall, questions will be posted on the HawkeyesMike.com website. You can respond to those or offer whatever comments you like. The toll-free hotline will be open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. To get your comments included in the next week's show, please call by Tuesday evening. Just call 866-74-HAWKS. The new podcast should be available for listening or downloading on Wednesday afternoons. Again, just call 866-74-HAWKS to make your voice heard. For more information about the Hawkeyes Mike team and our guest experts and commentators, go to www.hawkeyesmike.com and click on the team. Things don't get any easier this week when Iowa travels to Penn State. And in fact, this game may be closer than many people think because Iowa does match up well against a Penn State type of team. The Iowa defense plays well against a power style offense and that's what Penn State has. But in the end, with Penn State coming off consecutive Big Ten losses and in front of a rabid home crowd, they're likely to pull this one out and probably pull away late in the third and fourth quarters. If Iowa does play Penn State close, it's likely largely because of the favorable match I think the real problems remain in this Iowa football program, and you have to wonder if they're going to win more than two games the rest of the season. And then Gary Barta has to ask how satisfied Iowa fans are going to be with a 4-8 or a 3-9 record and no bowl trip. Again, our thanks to the Big Ten Network. Thanks again to our regular contributors, Marv Cook and Pat Hardy, to Rob P., and of course, to our callers. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate by phoning and making your own voice heard, 866. 674 Hawks. That's 86674 Hawks. We encourage new callers. Phone into Hawkeye's mic, make yourself heard, then listen to yourself on the podcast and invite your friends and family to listen. They can call in too. It's going to be all Hawkeyes all the time on Hawkeye'sMike.com for Iowa fans by Iowa fans. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of HawkeyesMike.com and Enlightened Vision, LLC.